some of the lessons that I've learned from a high stress environment is individual's true character is going to come out. Welcome to the Leadership Download Podcast. On today's episode, we have Rick Davis. Uh, Rick Davis is the founder of the Fire Officer Leadership Academy and a certified member of the John Maxwell team. Rick is a retired battalion chief from the Loveland Fire Rescue Authority in Colorado and author of The Furnace of Leadership Development. He worked as a firefighter for over 37 years with the Loveland Fire Rescue Authority for over 29 years. During his time in Loveland, he served as a shift commander and training chief. He led several programs, including the Hazardous Materials Team, Wild Land Firefighting Program, and Recruiting Program. Rick is also a veteran of both the United States Air Force and the United States Marine Corps. So on today's episode, we're going to talk with Rick on his book, The Furnace of Leadership Development. So we hope you enjoy this podcast episode with Rick Davis. Well, thank you, Rick, uh, for for being on the podcast. Happy to have you on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Cameron. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, Rick, it's been awesome getting to know you over the last few months as a fellow John Maxwell team member as well. And so um, looking forward to the conversation uh, today. Yeah, so am I. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, for sure. I was, I'm very excited for, for this conversation. Um, Rick, tell us uh, a little bit, I guess, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your journey um, as a firefighter. Okay, I'll do that. I invested 37 years of my life on the job and the fire service. And now I'm still involved in the fire service with my business, Fire Officer Leadership Academy. Jumping back a little bit about my passion with the fire service, my Zoom background, that's the first fire engine that I rode when I was three years old. I grew up in southern New Jersey, and it was a volunteer fire company. My dad, the following year, gave me his badge. He'd been a volunteer firefighter in a neighboring town. And then I was always interested in it, watching the trucks go by. And my dad would chase the fire sometimes. I could see the trucks and see what was going on. Uh, there was a guy that worked with my aunt who was on the volunteer fire company. He would send things home with her. They lived next door to me. And so this just continued to grow and grow and grow over the years until what I wanted to do as a career in my teen years. Unfortunately, I came home from school. I found my dad uh, dead on the floor. It was his fifth heart attack. After that, I started hanging out at the firehouse and those guys down there, they kind of took me underneath their wings and let me do things that a lot of people probably think are mundane, you know, washing hose, sweeping the floors. But you know, for a guy that's in high school, well, that was a big deal to me. I turned 18. I joined the volunteer fire company, also enlisted in the Air Force and eventually was able to get into the fire department there, served as a both a military and then a civilian firefighter, decided to go to college ran out of money <laughs> and so i joined the marine corps i was a firefighter there for a while until they uh, retrained me when i got out of the marine corps i relocated to colorado became part of loveland fire rescue authority where i spent the rest of my career 30 years with loveland fire rescue authority and retired out as a battalion chief i was in that position for 15 years and for a short period of that time i was the training chief 
And so that has been my career journey. I've collected anything related to the fire service. And I was in the photography for quite a while uh, as well, uh, taking photos of fire trucks. I had my photos published in books and some publications. And I was also doing photography for a local company here in Colorado who was building fire trucks. So that's what got me up to this here. And Cameron, you mentioned, or Travis, you mentioned, John Maxwell team. And I joined the Maxwell team in May of 2020, just six days after I retired from Loveland Fire. So that pretty much brings us up to speed of where I'm at right now. Awesome. Um, so before we dive into your latest book release, I wanted to take a dive in terms of um, where did you develop your passion for leadership and leadership development? How did that come about? That's something I've thought about over the years. And the gentleman that wrote the forward to my book, his name is Paul Callan. He's a retired Marine. Back in 2015, he asked me a question. What do you believe about leadership, Rick? And why do you believe it? And that caused me to you know, dig in. And that was prior to me writing the book. So to answer your question with that, I believe it stems back to the time period when I was uh, growing up, started hanging around the firehouse. And even before my dad died, I, you know, there was a, a lot of the men in my town had served in World War II, Korea. They were coming home from Vietnam. And there was even you know a couple still alive from World War I. And so I was exposed to, you know, a lot of their experiences. You know, my dad, he was in the Coast Guard. Uh, his brother, my Uncle Kent, he was in the Air Force. He was a career Air Force man. So a lot of this, I think, started to drive my interest and passion in leadership. And then it started to grow over the years. And when I got into the military, not only the classes that I would go to, but starting to, you know, delve into it on my own. It really, for me, took off when I got into the Marine Corps because the Marine Corps, yeah, certainly people got a lot of misconceptions about the Corps, some of their, some of their truths. And yes, the mantra, every Marine is a, is a rifleman is in there, but leadership is the basis. It, it, it's that underlying foundation. And, and that just, that really started to feed my soul from that standpoint right there. Now, I, I will add, and I think anybody who's listening to this that's been in the Marine Corps, you could certainly agree there are good and there are bad leaders that are in the Marine Corps. So it's not all hunky-dory uh, you know, that's taking place there. But that's where it, it really came from, uh, Cameron, you know, the Marine Corps leadership traits and principles. I had one of my best friends is a re retired Marine. Uh, I think he did a couple of... Uh, couple of years of service in even I think he's been out for at least 20 25 years now and he still references everything back to the Marine Corps when he starts talking about leadership because of the impact it made mm -hmm. the the uh the accountability the, the accountability that it brought into the uh you know as a leader um one of those one of as you mentioned all these different career paths you've taken one of the things I I've probably I've noticed the most certainly you dealt with a lot of stress, <laughs> high stress environments. And I'm always about lessons learned. So, mm -hmm. you know, specifically maybe as a firefighter, since that's your most recent background, um, 
what have you what has being in a consistently in high stress environments taught you about leadership it's you're right travis a high stress environment it'll bring out or it'll crush leadership it it really separates uh, people i will say out of that 37 years that i spent in the fire service as a career i saw good leadership i saw bad leadership Unfortunately, there were a few, and it was fortunately it was on the minority side of people. Not a lot of them that you know they came into it, and they weren't in it very long. And it's like this is just not for me. You know, they would fall apart on scene, and you know, and then they would back away from it. Well, there's some that were able to creep along, make it through, and I'd stand back and I'd look at their lack of leadership ability is there a lack of decision making abilities and, and just shake and just shake my head but some of the lessons that i've learned from a high stress environment is an individual's true character is going to come out mm-hmm. when that stress is on their character is going to come out there's the berserkers the screamers they're the ones that are, you know, on the radio yelling and screaming or at the scene of an emergency. You know, they are they are running around, you know, like a chicken with their head cut off. Then there's others that you wouldn't even know anything was going on. They're so calm, cool mm. and collected. And I write about it, an individual like that in my book, The Furnace of Leadership Development. I have a chapter on decision making and this is a real individual and I've dubbed him Calm Chris. And it was a large wildland fire that we had in our area in June of 2020. And the fire had spotted into an area called Masonville. And I was up on the main fire and we were listening to the radio. And Chris's engine company was dispatched up to Masonville on a report of a wildland fire. Well, it was the main body of the fire that had spotted in the Masonville about one to two miles ahead of the line. And Chris just got on the radio, sounded like he was ordering a hamburger at the drive-thru, <laughs> called dispatch, and said, notify the sheriff, we need them evacuate Masonville. Just like that. That, you know, and so he was always an individual that operated very calmly under stress. So that's coming back to it is high stress environment will certainly bring out somebody's underlying character. That's awesome. Um, I know we uh, let's touch on the book that that you recently mm-hmm. came out with, Rick, um, the furnace of leadership development. Can you talk about what that book is all about? Sure, it's about my leadership experiences, and it came about after years and years and years of my wife and my daughter saying, "Dad, you ought to write a book." And then when I was a battalion chief, when I'd go out and I'd visit the stations and I'd do what we're doing right here, sit down, you know, with the crews, have a cup of coffee and pass on information. And we start talking And so many times the conversations would lend themselves to leadership issues or somebody might say, hey, chief, I've got a question. I need to talk to you. And we go off into the other room. And then people on the shift started saying, you need to write this stuff down. You need to write this stuff down. So that that's what got that thing going right there. So there's the chapters in the book are all revolved around my experiences. I, I even I mentioned earlier about finding my dad dead coming home from school. And I talk about that. And I talk about a, my uncle Cliff, who had a big impact in my life and um, and unfortunately, I didn't realize how big of an impact he had in my life until he had died. 
which I'll say to people, if somebody, you know, somebody's got an impact on your life, tell them, tell them now, don't wait until it's too late and, and they're dead and, and they're not around anymore. So that's how the book came about, the topics, the subjects, off of my experiences. I launched the book in November of 2019. In January of 2020, it became an international bestseller on Amazon. This April, April 2023, I relaunched the book. And again, we did an Amazon bestseller campaign. And, and hey, I'm thankful to the Lord that it hit the Amazon bestseller list. Again, uh, here in the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, and then down in Australia. And even after the campaign was over with, it stayed number one in a, two leadership categories down in Australia. Okay, so I, I've been very pleased with that. Yeah, I really like your um, your title, The Furnace of Leadership Development, How to Mold Integrity and Character in Today's World. And um, I actually just got the book a couple of days ago. Oh, um, and I, I realized you, you open up the book talking about some really important, crucial and uh, essential items that you need or traits that you need in leadership, which is integrity, trust, and credibility and mm -hmm. with your background in the fire service um how how was that so critical and why was this at the top of your mind when writing this book integrity is one of those things that i learned very very young from my dad and my mom and then we, like i pointed out in the book if we don't have integrity somebody doesn't have integrity then they're on shaky soil it doesn't matter how many degrees they have, what kind of an athlete they were, what they've achieved in life. If they lack integrity, there's a lot of problems right there. So I had that really honed into me, Cameron, from very you know early ages. As you moved along coming into the fire service, that, that trust and credibility is crucial because of the team environment that we work in. If you have a fractured team, and I talk about this in one of the other chapters of my book on healthy team conflict. If you have a fractured team in the fire service, yeah, okay, they're going to get the job done, but how efficient is the job? If they're not getting along with one another in the firehouse, what's happening out at the scene of the emergency? It's not going to come together like it should. And I don't care whether it's a it's a paid fire department or or they're volunteers. Now, if they're not getting along with each other or you don't, if you're not trusting somebody that is on that team, you're always looking over your shoulder, always looking over your shoulder. And in an emergency situation, if you've got one or more team members that are not credible and that you don't trust, that starts pulling away from your situational awareness and you start paying more attention to what they are doing than what is happening in front of you. And that can lead to a critical breakdown in the incident that where somebody could get hurt, somebody could get killed, or certainly the incident can get a lot worse than what it needs to be. So that's why I address those things right out the gate in the book. I had I had the privilege of speaking with a, uh, a a former Navy SEAL a couple of months ago, and we were talking about this, and it's it's very similar to how you're comparing uh, kind of how the teams view uh, competency, and he, and he said right out of the gate, he's like, you know, the person could actually lack maybe strength or lack in a certain area, uh, and they would be okay with that, but if they lack the trust. 
Mm-hmm. That was like, it was just, it was a no-go item. It was like, it doesn't matter how good you are. You can be the best runner, best shooter, whatever. It's just not going to work um, for the team. Cause that, that trust is the, the first primary thing. So I'm curious for you as, as someone who's grew kind of had the opportunity to grow to the higher levels of the fire department, you said a battalion chief was where yeah. you ended, mm-hmm. you know, as you've grown, you have had, uh, you're, you're, there's more and more layers between you and I guess what we would call the frontline mm-hmm. firefighters. How do you continue to maintain that trust even when there's so many layers that could start to come into place? The fire service is an interesting animal. You know, it is based off of a promotional process. You know, first of all, getting into the job, it could take a while, you know, through all the testing, but then moving through the ranks, it's unlike so many other jobs out there in the corporate world where somebody might be, you know, promoted based off of, you know, technical experience and so forth like that. Uh, I'm not personally aware of any fire departments that are just saying, okay, hey, you've been here 10 years. We're going to make you a lieutenant or a captain. There may be some of those departments that are out there like that. I think you're going to find that more in volunteer organizations than you are, are paid. But what you're hitting on there, Travis, is a crucial thing. And it's it's one of these areas that comes into my passion with the fire service and developing people is as somebody does move further up the ranks and lieutenants and captains are what we refer to as company level officers. They're out there and they're on the rig. They're over in the, the right seat. And so they're in charge of a, a crew on that particular rig. My function as a battalion chief in in our department was I was in charge of a shift. Now, as a department gets bigger in metropolitan areas, battalion chiefs are assigned to geographic areas, and they have a certain number of fire companies or engine companies, truck companies, we call them, under underneath of them. Yes, it can get difficult to maintain that frontline contact. Even though I was on shift and I was working out of a, a fire station, as our organization became busier, I had to get much more intentional on how I was doing it. When I first got promoted to battalion chief, I was able to pick up the phone, call out the station. Hey, what do you guys got going on out there right now? Uh, you know, We're doing a little bit of training. We're going to be wrapped up in about an hour. Great. I'll be out. As we got busier here and the city grew bigger and the fire department grew bigger, I had to start plugging that into the calendar. But I, you have to be intentional to stay in contact with those frontline troops, regardless of whether it is the fire service, the police department, yeah, anything, you know, the aviation world. Somebody has got to make the determination, I am going to maintain that contact with the people who are there. Otherwise, there's a separation that starts. Now, in a fire department, because you have stations, when that separation starts to take place between the chief officers and those crews that are out there in the stations, it's very easy to have a fire department and let's just call it the Schmuckatelli Fire Department, and let's just say they've got 10 stations, when that fracturing starts taking place, it might be the Schmuckatelli Fire Department, but very easily you could wind up with 10 other fire departments because of those individual stations. And now you add in three shifts, now it could wind up with 30 different fire departments Mm -hmm. because everybody's doing things differently out there. 
And so that was something that I was bound and determined that, you know, I didn't want that have happen. And fortunately, uh, our department took great strides in the time period around 2005 to up to 2009 to make sure that everybody was functioning the way that we needed them to function. And we didn't have any of that fracturing taking place. But it comes back to what you were saying there. You got to maintain that contact with the frontline people. Uh, Rick, you know, um, traditionally, um, you know, when when um, people come towards the end of the careers and and they retire, they they they're kind of done. But you're you're keep you <laughs> you're keep go, you're keeping keeping at it. And um, what what is it within you that wanted that? Where did it stem from that you wanted to pursue this post um, retirement? Uh, like continuing to pursue leadership development in the fire service. What made you continue want to push yourself and pursue this? Well, you know, certainly when we're, we're younger and we started into our careers, that's the last thing that we're looking at really is, you know, retirement. You know, that, I mean, that's something way off, you know, down the road. I think where I started seriously considering what it would look like down the road for me is there was a older couple in our church and I watched them and they were older, but they were young, you know, people like that, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> they stay young, they stay connected with people. They stayed connected with the younger people in the church. And by the younger people, I'm not talking about, you know, the five, six year olds. I'm talking about the people that were, you know, in their twenties, thirties, 40s and they also had the ability to you know fellowship and be with the people of their their age as well but i watched them and my wife and i we said we want to be like that we want to be the people that still have an impact in people's lives because i sometimes would swing by mcdonald's to pick up breakfast and there was always a group of five to nine guys sitting off in the corner belly <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there you name it, guys. I mean, they were they were they were belly aching about anything. I thought I do not want to be that way, and so that fueled that, Cameron, as I started to move along in my career, and then where it really took root for me, and I can pin this down to a, a specific day and year. It was July fourth, two thousand and eight. My wife and younger daughter they were out of town. And me and my older daughter, we were here and we went to Cracker Barrel and we came out after eating breakfast and she said, hey, dad, let's go across the street. There's a Christian bookstore over there. I said, hey, OK, I love to read. We went over there and this book, you know, caught my attention. I mean, it was bright Hunter Safety Orange. Now, how many books do you see there? Hunter Safety Orange. And I looked at that thing. Wow. Caught my attention. I pulled it out. And it was called Finishing Well by a guy named uh, Buford down in, in Dallas, which he died a few years back. And I thought, I'm already reading a couple books. I put it back on the shelf. After a third time, I pulled it off. I'm buying it. I'm going to buy this book. And it was one of those books I could not put down. Each chapter was an interview of a different person down, most primarily down there in the, in the Texas area. But all of them but one had hit a point in their life saying, what in the world am I doing? You know, what am I doing with my life? I mean, they, you know, from a worldly standpoint, they were successful, 
making money, yada, 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 stuff like that. The one fellow that knew what he wanted to do is, if you might remember the name, Roger Stallback, when he used to be a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. He was the one lone ranger out of that entire book. But there was a there was a Bible verse that was on the front page, the fly page of the book out of Luke 12, 48. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom more is given, even more is required. And I don't know how many times I had seen that. But Buford in his book had reinforced that throughout. And I sat down that book and, and it was like, okay, God, this, this is where I want to go when I leave the fire department. You've given me the ability to be able to lead people and to learn about leadership. Uh, my master's degree is in leadership. I had the opportunity to attend the four-year executive fire officer program at the National Fire Academy. And that was mostly all about leadership. And like, I want to pass this on. I don't want to be like those five, six, seven guys sitting around McDonald's belly aching about everything when they could be impacting people's lives. And, you know, the three of us as part of the uh, Maxwell leadership team, certainly that's, that's an overriding, you know, umbrella if that's using describing that correctly, but I mean, that's what it is. It's about developing people. So that's where I wanted to go, Cameron. I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. When I left the fire department, I still wanted to be involved in career development and leadership development with firefighters and fire departments. So that's why I developed the fire officer leadership Academy. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's begin to kind of wrap things up. Um, you know, we, I mentioned when we were doing our free call about, you know, just talk, taking maybe two or three major lessons, maybe lessons learned that you uh, that you've learned being in the fire department, military, um, maybe sharing just a couple of thoughts with us on some couple of big takeaways that you've had from your career. Listen to people. From a leadership standpoint, listen to people and don't get angry when you ask them for feedback and they give it to you. But that comes back down to the trust. That's a that was a that's a big lesson right there. That trust and the credibility that the leader has to develop with people so that they can ask the question, what is going good, what's not going good. What can I be doing differently? Is there something in me that I'm driving you crazy? And those are questions that I would ask the people, everybody on my shift every six months. Then I'd sit back with a cup of coffee, hot coffee, and take a sip. Because when you got a mouthful of hot coffee, you can't say anything. And then listen to what they say. (laughs) And if you argue with them, that's going to destroy your credibility. So we have to listen. We have to be humble. That That's a biggie right there. Another big takeaway that I learned, and, and wow, this, this is in the book, uh, and that is you're going to inherit people that previous supervisors have bad mouth, they've cussed, they've put down. I even heard coming out of the mouth of my battalion chief when I was a lieutenant, when he was talking about this individual, where it's like, I hate this guy. He's no good. Blah, 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 blah. Then when I got promoted, Mm -hmm. I stayed on the same shift and I had access to his personnel file. Not one, not one of those people that had complained and bellyached about this guy, they didn't write anything bad. 
in his evaluation. So we that's a takeaway right there. People don't want to put down the negative in an evaluation. And, I, and I'm not talking about harping on it, you know, and coming down on somebody in, in a manner that should not happen. But I'm talking about we need to document things because when you go down the road, in this individual's case, he had worked in another city department before he came to us. And when you know you're inheriting a problem, I describe him in chapter three of my book, Organizational Monsters in there so the, these are things and, and a lesson another lesson travis that i can take away from this is there are things that we are going to be confronted with from a leadership position that you're not going to get in a class hey firefighters if you're listening to this out there there's some things that you're going to be dealing with in the firehouse and with your crews that aren't covered in a fire officer one fire officer two fire officer three certification class there's things that they are just not going going to talk about and that's where i i come back in after all those years in the fire service and as a battalion chief dealing with these issues here and that coaching carrying that over the training that we've had, you know, through the Maxwell team, you know, from coaching is just absolutely incredible. So those things that, that come in and I can tie it into those key lessons that I've learned and help other people so they can grow and develop and they're, they're not beating their head on the wall because they don't know what to do. Uh, that's awesome. Um, we're going to drop a link in the podcast description to your book, Rick. Um, so the furnace of leadership development, um, get your copy. And uh, Rick, why should people get a copy of this book? Because they're going to read a book that's not full of fluff. I tell the good and the bad. I've got some stories in there, of, um, big mistakes that I have made. And that's been a beef of mine with some leadership books is when they do talk about mistakes, usually it's about somebody else's mistakes. It's not about their own. I've taken the 11 chapters and I've drawn one key leadership point out of each of those chapters. And I put it together in a one page document called 11 winning leadership tips. And I could share that link, you know, verbally here, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's bitly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash F-O-L- a tips bitly slash or bit dotly slash folder tips and they can go to that link right there and they'll automatically get it after they fill out the form well awesome um we're gonna go as we kind of close travis you can uh, start the uh lightning round Rapid fire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> rapid fire. We have three questions we'd like to ask each and every one of our guests. And the first one is just really kind kind of trying to get more, uh, find out what people are reading. So what have you been reading lately that is worth sharing with others? I started reading a book last week about Abraham Lincoln and the decisions that he was making from the time that he got elected president all the way up to the start of the Civil War. So right now I'm only into the chapter on November to where the election took place. And I enjoy reading books like that. And, and I'll tell you, sometimes I forget that even you're reading a book, I forget the, the title. 
of the thing. But I like reading those type of books to see how others in life have reacted on their stressful situations in leadership positions. Okay. Second question is, uh, what's a bucket list item left for you to accomplish? I would love to go to France and visit Normandy, the beaches of Normandy, mm. and then go back across the channel to England. My family originated out of England. They first came to this country in the 1600s, and I would like to learn more about them. That's, that's excellent. That, that's, that one's on my list as well. And then the third one, the final one is dead or alive. Who would you like to have lunch with? Hmm. Who would I like to have lunch with? <laughs> dead or alive? George Meade. He's dead. He was the commanding general for the Union forces at mm -hmm. Gettysburg. And I would love to have lunch with him and pick his brain about leadership because he was thrust into that command position in the middle of the morning, woken up in a dead sleep in the middle of the night and told, you're the man. And they were all, he was already in Maryland. And here they are. They're marching up into Pennsylvania and getting ready to fight. I would love to hear what was going through his mind and how he handled it, other than what you read in the books. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I think me and you would get along very well. <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a civil war. I'm a civil war buff myself. Oh, I enjoy okay. focus on that subject. So very good. Cameron, do you want to wrap us up before we go yeah. off on a tangent? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're just about to go on a tangent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Rick, uh, thank you so much for um, taking the time and being on the podcast. And thank you. You're welcome. For, for doing the work that you're doing. Cause I know it's so much needed in the fire service. Uh, with some of the things that you've talked about. So thank you for, um, for, you know, really living out that verse, Luke 1248. Um, that is uh, amazing work that, that you're doing. And um, it's actually inspired us to focus on and find our own niche mm -hmm. in the aviation side. So um, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Cameron and Travis. I appreciate the opportunity and enjoy talking to both you guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Download Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to connect with Rick, you can go to his website, fireofficerleadershipacademy.com, and there you can purchase his latest book that he came out with, The Furnace of Leadership Development. And uh, you can go to fireofficerleadershipacademy.com to find out more about the book and also find out more about Rick Davis. Also, if you want to connect with us, you can go to website tcadvisorgroup.com. You can find more about our complement of leadership development services at leadership training and leadership coaching. And also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and also leave a review. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. And uh, thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Download Podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode.